Trev, you and I love talking about baseball, but as much as we love talking about baseball, we love watching it in person even more. And I have good news. We're now partnering with our friends over at SeatGeek to bring listeners $20 off tickets for whatever game they want to see. Yes, $20 off. And all you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find the game you want to see. Maybe you want to go to the home opener for the National League champion Phillies. I don't blame you. I wish I could be there. And you're going to enter the promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL and get 20 bucks off. Maybe you're just looking to travel to a stadium you haven't ever been to this summer. See some big league action. Last summer, I got to see Sandy Alcantara. It was very exciting. I've been a big fan. I had never seen him throw. And this summer, I can go see him again. You could go see him. All you have to do is go to SeatGeek, enter the promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL, and you'll get $20 off your first ticket buy. SeatGeek, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL. Do it this summer. Go check some games out. By Riverside. No countdown on the backside ground balls podcast anymore. Just catch my co-host off guard every every week now. Dan, how are we doing? Doing well. How are you doing? Ah, you know, can't complain, can't complain to our listeners. Sorry we couldn't get an episode out on Monday. Um, as we've said multiple times on this podcast, life happens. Uh, fiance had some friends in town, so we were catering to the needs of company, um, which we had a great weekend. Can't complain one bit. A lot of fun time in Raleigh, but that uh, impeded our uh, ability to record on Sunday. But we are coming to you here on Tuesday evening to talk about the college baseball weekend and in review. So, Dan, obviously, you had a little bit of time on your hands to watch some college baseball. What are, what are some initial thoughts before we? go into what actually happened well first off i just want to uh you're a social butterfly now i'm gonna try you know there i mean your social calendar it's like hard for me to keep up with you here it's uh it's good i'm glad you're enjoying uh enjoying life this is this is a a new phase for for you (laughs) um another really good i mean now that conference plays kicking off uh things are getting more fun, right? And you saw a lot of kind of series this weekend that probably surprised a lot of people. Uh, You know, Ole Miss, the SEC really. I mean, what Ole Miss did or Vanderbilt did to Ole Miss, Kentucky, um, and obviously Missouri, which I think we're going to lead off with here. Um, And then also, shout out, I made a promise. Um, Goldie Beacom takes three of four, Division Two news. Goldie Beacom takes three of four from the number 10 team in the nation. That's a a huge weekend for the the Bolts. Um, I'm very happy for them. Skipper. Here's your shout-out. Congratulations. Bigger shout-out, though, to Dylan Biddle, who uh, snaked a win on Sun Saturday, three innings. Probably my favorite pitcher I ever coached. Um, deserves it. I was so fired up to see him do that. Um, so, yeah, shout-out to, shout to the Bolts. Yeah, the Bolts are rolling into conference play hot. There ain't no denying that. That's a, that's sure. a big series win and, and obviously get to carry some momentum going into the CAC conference series where they battle Alliance, which the school is located in Manhattan. The, yeah, in Manhattan. Downtown Manhattan. Isn't it, isn't it the new uh, World Trade Center? 
It's where they're building. I where think, their school I think they, they might have classrooms there. That might be another school. Yeah. It might be them. Okay. It might be another school. There's something like that. But yeah, they, they play their home games at the Brooklyn Cyclone Stadium now, though. Which is awesome. Because they used to be Nyack, like you said, in Nyack, New York. They're now Alliance and they're in Manhattan. And that is about all the time that I think that school deserves on our podcast. <laughs> so it's, it's moving along. Yeah, I think they have negative fans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, you mentioned that. Um, College baseball is when conference series start, um, it makes the game a lot of fun. And obviously we're starting to see some parody in the sport, which is obviously something that I'd like to kick off on. So obviously this weekend, it might not be an upset to some people, but I view it as an upset more because of the way it went down. You see the upset of Ole Miss. You obviously see the upset of Tennessee, which this Missouri team comes to Columbia, South Carolina, and I'm kind of kicking myself that we didn't plan to get down there this weekend because that's going to be a series, and that team in South Carolina that we're going to talk about later, they can flat-out swing it. Um, and then Stanford last weekend lost a series to USC. So the beauty of college baseball, the beauty of baseball, is that on any given weekend, you know, momentum's a drug, and, and you can really ride it a long way. You're starting to see some top teams not play their best baseball in conference series. So, Dan, as you kind of look at that, I mean, A, obviously that's great for baseball. But what are kind of your takeaways from from those specific three dominant teams that are now looking on the outside of the top ten across the country looking in because of some bad weekends? Well, I think what's mo- most interesting is usually when you have a top team, when they lose a weekend, it's a big deal, right? Now, obviously, when you get to this level of play, so many teams are so good. And if Tennessee went in and lost a series to LSU, that's a different story. But you're talking about, you know, getting swept at Missouri. And that's what makes college sports fun is these are 18 to 23-year-old kids, and they're not consistent all the time. We've said that a million times on this podcast. They're not always consistent and um you know, it probably felt like for those guys, that's, I think I texted you, it's like 775 miles apart, Knoxville and Columbia, Missouri. And they probably felt like they were in the twilight zone. It was cold. Um, yeah. Dolander gets rocked. Burns gets rocked. And they're probably like, what is happening? And then to the other side, credit to Missouri because they're, you know, they had the best weekend they've had in conference in a long time. It's probably their biggest series they've had in years. And, Confidence is a drug, man. Like the confidence and momentum that those kids, like when you get to game three, like now you know that Tennessee's fighting for their lives. If you're Missouri, you feel like you have the upper, like you're, you've won the series that no one expected you to win the series. Everyone thought you were going to get swept at home. You've now won. So now game three, you're playing with nothing to lose and it makes it that much easier to, to compete in game three. And then on the other side, the, like you said, the Ole Miss one, like getting swept by Vanderbilt can happen to anybody. Vanderbilt's a great team, but the manner in which that series went went down where those games weren't particularly close, you get run ruled on uh, Thursday night, and then you on lose 8 nothing and 7 That's two. a Sunday thing. That's a you Sunday thing. You can't get run ruled in game one no, of the series. No, in game one, and I think some of what you saw in non-conference play that they were able to get past because they were just so much better than those teams is when you're not – like hey, Ole Miss hasn't figured out the strike zone. On the, on the mound. Like, you have to you have to pitch within the strike zone. You have to be able to pitch within the strike zone. And when you play teams as good as Vanderbilt, whether you're better or not, if you're going to put guys on, games like that are going to happen. And then again, 
the momentum swings, and now all of a sudden, Ole Miss is their head spinning. They're not sure what's happening. Well, we we thought we were going to get to conference play and just continue to roll. And Vanderbilt, you know, and you're the defending national champions. Everybody wants a piece. Yeah, there's no denying that. And we will talk about Vanderbilt because very impressive weekend on the whole. Not that impressed with that team, right? Statistically speaking, we'll dive into a little bit of their offense. They still got a couple things to figure out, but they're winning ball games, And that's the most important thing. Obviously, the name of the game is to win, win series, win ball games, sweep, win weeks. You know, that's what we always used to say. You win a week and you're pretty good. You go three right. and one every week. You're you're happy. Right. Um, so being able to get, come out at a, at a seventy seventy five win percentage every week is huge. But on the whole, like they're not that impressive of a group right now. And we, like I said, we will dive in a little bit on Vandy, but they're winning ball games, and that's the most important thing. And so that's even leaves uh, a sour taste on Ole Miss. I mean, you point out the inability to throw strikes, and that's how you let an average offense really just come in and just beat the doors off of you. Like you give them free bases, then it's one knock away, two runs, one knock away, two runs, one homer, some guy clips you. Next thing you know, you're down nine one early on a Friday, on a Thursday night. Um, and that's tough. That's tough to respond to. And, you know, obviously. You go. So I was just like, as a pitching coach, like your biggest fear in, in college is like, if you, if you can't find the zone in a week, when you see a team that you know that your arms are better than on the offensive side, right? If, if you see a team who's an average, offensive team and you think well we're not going to lose by death by a million paper cuts here so go ahead and and you know just live in the zone and let them put the ball in play for whatever reason you know whether it's they don't have power they're just not that talented on the offensive side but as soon as we start putting runners on if you put two guys on and then they they hit back-to-back singles like now you're in trouble but if you if you're in the zone, you're competing in the zone, and you can throw strikes, then those two singles are just two singles. Yep, definitely, definitely. Your margin for error becomes razor thin. You cannot make mistakes when you're given free bases, and it's always it's the age old adage. It's always funny because now that we're on the outside looking in, what head coach at Arcadia always used to say is. Let's just say hypothetically, guy walks two guys with two outs, right? We're sitting at first and second, lazy fly ball in the left field, hits off the left fielder's glove, kicks in, two runs scored. Obviously, you're frustrated with the left fielder for making that mistake, but he would always direct it to, you didn't put those guys on, you make those guys earn it, that doesn't happen. And being on the outside looking in, we've been at Division One games. We've been at Division Two games. I've seen Division Three games. Every time a ball kicks off an outfielder's glove, every time an infielder boots a ground ball, every time a ball hits a rock, it is immediately after following free bases. And it's no amazing how that works. Is the it, You don't deserve to get out of that inning by gifting them to base runners is the way baseball goes. And it stinks that it's like that sometimes, but when you can't find the strike zone, you're one rock kick away from a two nothing ball game early in a game. And it's, it's infuriating and it's something that you can't respond to. So Ole Miss, obviously they struggled early last year. We see what they became. They barely made the tournament that shows how much talent they have on that roster. So it's not like we're writing Ole Miss off. That team's still talented. They beat a really good Maryland team four times three times out of four um so obviously we're gonna have to see more but when we get into sec play that's what we learn we learn that some teams are are real and some teams aren't 
And that brings me to kind of some of the teams that we believe at this point are real, right? So obviously you have the early season, some soft schedules. That was kind of the conversation point with Virginia, South Carolina, and to a lesser extent, UCLA. UCLA did lose a series to Vanderbilt at Vanderbilt, but out of, on the to- whole, they only have three losses total, two of those coming to Vandy. But they're starting to legitimately roll right now between Virginia, South Carolina, and UCLA after slow starts. Yeah, I mean, uh, South Carolina is 20-1. and one, Yeah. I believe – I mean, soft schedule or not when you're doing that, right? Like, okay, you, you're not playing a great – you saw it with NC State, right? NC State – didn't really play anyone in non-conference, and they've kind of limped out of the gate when they've gotten into SEC play, right? They, they struggled against Miami. They struggled against Virginia. Um, they were able to salvage one on a walk-off against Virginia this weekend, which is huge. They needed that. Um, so it was like, okay, well, that's the thing. But when you're South Carolina and you're 20-1 and one at this point and you can, like you said it in the open, like they can hit – I don't care how soft your schedule is. You 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 win twenty of twenty one games at any level. Like you're you're rolling and you got it cooking. And then um, UCLA is a really good team. And just like in pro sports and college sports, has amplified the West Coast gets no love. And there's some really good teams out west in um, Stanford and UCLA. And and um, I think that UCLA could like you're talking about a team that you know, it just kind of feels like one of those things that no one really talks about. They're consistently good. They continue to be consistently good. They win a regional, they win a super and they're in Omaha. And I feel like that's happened in the past with them. Um, and that kind of feels, feels how it is. And then Virginia's the same. I mean, Virginia, we're two weekends into SC, or ACC play now. Virginia's really good. Like Virginia's really good. at the top of that conference with Wake. They're at the top of that conference with UNC. Like they, they're, they're right there with Miami. Like Virginia's a really good team this year. And I know people, you know, you see the soft schedule and you see them stacking wins and there's kind of some trust issues as far as like taking them serious because the last, you know, last year they were kind of down a little bit. Um, and, and so you didn't know, but then you watch them play the first couple of weekends of ACC play and it's like, oh, oh no, this is a really good team. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing from my perspective is as you punch your microphone after I've already punched yeah, my microphone I know. once. So we, we even that out here, uh, you know, a little rusty with the weekend off. Uh, but <laughs> I think that's the one thing when we talk about Virginia that going into the UNC weekend were the questions, right? You're sitting at undefeated, but what are you? And then right. they go in two out of three against a good UNC team. And that UNC team has flaws. Yes, but that's a really good win. And then you go and take two out of three against NC State. One, coming back from from down late where uh, Jake Geloff hits a go-ahead home run, and then Kyle Teal follows it up and tags another one on. And then you're sitting there, you close it out, game over, win a series. So that's a team that's legit. And We are going to talk a lot more about Virginia and South Carolina today, but I am fired up about what South Carolina has to offer. And then to finish off the parody of the sport, obviously the cream is rising to the top, the top group. I think the top group is starting to kind of set themselves apart. LSU dominated Texas A&M this weekend, winning the series. Florida had a really good weekend, sweeping um, Alabama at home. Wake is playing really good baseball, and they're going to have a tough test this coming weekend with Miami coming to town. And then Louisville and Arkansas. Arkansas, we came on here and 
didn't give him a ton of credit, kind of like we're talking about Vanderbilt. Statistically speaking, there might be a little bit of luck there, whatever's going on, but they're winning ball games. They're 18 and 2. Can't really complain. They started off SEC play with a good series win, and they're going to freaking roll. So, and then you also have Louisville, who is sneakily playing. They haven't really had a tough series. They're going to get into it when they get into ACC play in the hole, but they're sitting at 17 and 2 as well. So, Dan, as you kind of unpack that top group, what are your biggest takeaways? Well, first off, I think that just to touch on Arkansas a little bit, I think the difference between Arkansas and Vanderbilt is like you look at Vanderbilt and you statistically see some like the numbers aren't that great. And so you're a little bit more surprised when they sweep a team like Ole Miss. And a lot of that goes back to you look at Vanderbilt's schedule and they have some weird losses in there. You know, they have some losses that like, why are you losing to Loyola Marymount? I know you took two or three, but that should probably be a game uh, or series you sweep. You know, you drop one in Nebraska, who Nebraska is a, a, a good team and a good program, but you wouldn't put them in the category with, with um, Vandy. And, and then they lost to Central Arkansas, too. So it's like they have some just losses that make you scratch your head, whereas Arkansas doesn't. Arkansas is taking care of business. Sure, you look at the numbers and it's like, huh, how are they winning so many games? And it doesn't matter. if you, Again, if you keep at this point, especially when you get into conference play, it doesn't matter. Now, some of those things can be exposed when you get to tournament time, but like at, for this time of year like just keep stacking wins and then um I, I know we spent a whole week talking about lsu last week uh with leo but paul Skeens is I, I right now i don't work in the industry but i want paul Skeens to be one one he's unbelievable i mean he's throwing triple digis with pinpoint control insane i mean yeah. and and he dominated in a big like you want to go make a statement you're the number one team in the country you don't think those people were up for that series in, in college station and um it was an awesome atmosphere and and he goes out and just is like yeah don't worry about it guys hop on my back we'll win this first one everyone can relax yeah the only reason he's not going to go one one is because of just what we talked about on the he's last episode with colin pitchers and you just don't know how to value him college level hitters as good as dylan cruz and as good as wyatt langford oh sure it's just hard to pass up on those guys. It's a really good top of the draft. Um, I mean, Carlos Colazzo, who's on the podcast, who will hopefully get on closer to draft season to talk about the draft specifically rather than broad baseball topics, is has been talking about there's legitimately four top guys. It's deep. It's, it's a really good draft, and the Mariners have three draft picks because of the bonus pick that they got from bringing up Julio Rodriguez and finishing in the top three of the – uh, rookie of the year voting, all the things like that. And so they're going to be in a good spot even after the first round. There's a lot of talented guys. Um, but on the whole, as we recap the weekend and we'll get into a couple teams that we want to dive deeper into, obviously SEC and Big 12 competition kicked off with a bang. You know, now you know, and this is probably the best part of the year to be following college baseball is that you're never going to have bad baseball again. There's at least going to be one good ACC, one good SEC, one good Pac-12, Big 12 um, series that we can follow. So really excited for that. And obviously, the probably the headliner of the weekend was unranked Mizzou sweeps number four, Tennessee, and they vaulted into a lot of people's top 15s at this point. Uh, you have number eight, Vandy, sweeping number six, Ole Miss. Number one, LSU wins the series at Number 11, Texas A&M. Texas A&M, we might have to do a deep dive on here at some point. They probably don't even deserve to be in the top 25 by resume. But Stop me if value, you've heard that before about a Texas yeah. A&M team. 
Well, we can say that until the fact <laughs> that they did take that team to Omaha last year with a lot of transfers in Jim Slosnagel's first year. So that's true. Um, while as much as I want to kick Jimbo while he's down, the baseball team did have a really good year <laughs> last year. Um, Jimbo doesn't know who's going to call plays job. yet, by the way. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so number two, Florida won the series like we already mentioned against Alabama. Um, Stanford responds from a series lost against Southern Cal to sweep Oregon State. Number nine, Virginia wins a series in our neck of the woods in Raleigh against number 24, NC State. And NC State's kind of reeling right now after conference play kicked off. Um, in a battle of conference favorites, which we'll actually talk about this a little bit later, where Big 12 decided to put their best two teams to play first weekend. Texas Tech wins a, another great weekend following Iowa, taking down number 19, Oklahoma State. Number 16, Miami dominates Big Statement and Coral Gables against number 15, Virginia Tech. Number 18, Boston College re- responds to a route on Friday night in the hands of Florida State to win the series. And Florida State's kind of reeling after a couple good series early in the year. Unranked Oklahoma knocks off TCU, really good TCU team with a bad weekend. Number 12, UCLA sweeps a solid Arizona team. Remember that Arizona team opened the season with a win against Tennessee. And in a battle of the mid-major programs, we'll try to highlight at least a mid-major series every week. Uh, Texas Tech wins the series against Southern Miss. All I know is that the pitching in that series Texas probably State. just cool. Uh, Texas State, sorry. See, I can't even do our mid-major programs <laughs> the justice they deserve. Texas State wins the series against Southern Miss, and both of those programs have really really good arms so i'm sure that was a worthwhile watch for anybody who got to tune into it so then obviously we've kind of talked about some of the parody in the sport and highlighted some of those teams but any other series that stood out to you that that kind of excite you or or attract your eye not really but let's can we talk a little bit about the the tennessee weekend i know we've touched on it but i mean again getting swept i mean you lose a series that's one thing but getting swept is is um when you're as good as tennessee is and you know, Missouri's probably a little bit better than everybody thought they were. You saw it, but it'll be interesting to follow what happens next with Missouri. I have a question for you. So I, I don't know if you saw this or not, but Tennessee's playing Western Kentucky tonight. There's not a single regular in the lineup for Tennessee. What do you think about that move? I think it's smart. I mean, I, I think Tony Vitello at the beginning of the year, and there was some some wiggle room there, but he made a statement saying that this team is different. This is not last year's team. We lost a lot of leaders between Drew Gilbert and obviously the guys in the lineup that were huge pieces to to the best lineup in the country, quite frankly. I, I don't think there's much of a question there. And, you know, he said this team has to form its own identity and this team has to form its own you know, culture and everything that that team embodied, they're not last year's team. You don't just walk out and beat teams because guys that are now in professional baseball showed up a year ago. No, you have to build your own identity as a group, especially as a lineup. And I think coming off that weekend, obviously Dolander got roughed up, Burns got roughed up and, and the pitching staff supposed to be what this, what fuels this team. The lineup didn't show up either. So at some point you got to make a statement. And when you, have the talent and attract the talent that Tennessee attracts. You've got a lot of talent, got talented guys that you're just waiting to let the reins off of. So but don't you think you, if you're, if you're in that, if you're one of the guys who's a regular on that team or, or just even on that team and in that clubhouse every day, all nine, do you think that doesn't signal a little bit of a panic from your, from your head coach? No, I think it's based off you of think your it's coaching more message style. received. Yeah. I think, from the outside looking in, 
Tony Vitello is a certain way. And I think that's message received. That is not a panic move by him um, from their standpoints, but they know he's hard. He's hard nosed. He's going to hold them accountable. And he's especially a lineup that in terms of recruiting rankings should be powerful, should be winning games, should be hitting home runs, should be doing all the things. And I'm not saying they're not, they're performing very well. They have a really talented group, but I think when you have a coach who you know is hard on you and who is consistently hard on you and he preaches that message of competition and allowing opportunity to be presented to certain guys, I think you understand that like, hey, this is our wake up call. Let's, you know, we got roughed up. We got our doors kicked in last weekend and it's our opportunity to really respond with this coming week and and respond to this because they got to go to LSU in a week. Right. Well, yeah. And I I mean – the good point is is about that line. Like when when you when you look at that, look back at that series, and and you see a, one team outscored the other twenty three to six, and you watch the <clears throat> the caliber of pitching on either side, you would you wouldn't say that Tennessee got outscored twenty three to six in a series. You'd say that Missouri did because you just look at the arms that Missouri rolled out there, and and no disrespect, they're they're good, they're fine arms. But then you look at the arms that Tennessee rolls out, and you're like, how did one team score 23 and the, and the other team score six in this series? And and the team with all the, the loaded arms that are probably draft guys got, you know, hit around in the, the team that, that is facing the better lineup that doesn't have a bunch of draft guys in it, you know, shut this team down. And again, it's a, a yeah. little, again, it's an 18 to 23 year old on the road in the cold. It was probably a little bit of that going on, but you know, it, that was a tough weekend. And now Tennessee kind of has to prove themselves. And that might be the, the spark, right? That might be the spark mm-hmm. they need because they were smelling themselves a little bit. And as you and I know, like people in Knoxville, they like to smell themselves. They love it. There's nothing they like better than their own, their own stench. And, um, so maybe this is what this team needed. Cause like you said, there's a lot of leaders that they lost off that team that aren't coming through the door, right? They're gone. They're in pro ball. And you know, now you, you kind of need to form your own identity. And I know sometimes that can be weird because Dolander still going out there every, every Friday night. And you got guys that are back in that lineup that were doing it last year, but you know, they're now in more of a, a role playing situation. So, or they were in a more role playing situation. Now they got to take a step forward. So it's, it's interesting, but it'll be Fun to see because, like you said, going to Baton Rouge in a week, like, no, again, the way you, when you, I will say this, when you run your program the way they do and when you act the way you do, there is not a soul outside that town or outside that program that feels bad for you. No. <laughs> like, there isn't anyone. Every team on that schedule in the SEC that got their whoopings last year from them are going are ready to give it back. I can guarantee you that. Yeah. Especially an LSU team that, from what we heard from Malia, has a fantastic right. culture, is focused on the right things, focused on the process, seems like a good group of guys that's all pulling on the same side of the rope. I don't know. And maybe that's the that was the kind of the kick in the gut that forced right. Coach Vitello to pull all of his starters and say, like, hey, we need a wake-up call because we could have six losses in SEC play no matter what happens this weekend. Right. Quick. Three weekends in. Pin. Three weekends in were six losses. We didn't have six losses last year. Correct. If I'm not mistaken. Like Correct. that that is that is tough. So it'll be interesting to see how that group responds, um, and making sure that they do get going before they head to Baton Rouge, which is gonna be a tough test. I mean, that LSU team is good. They made easy work of of Texas A and M this weekend. Paul Skeens is 
the real deal of that lineup. Dylan Cruz is the real deal. Tommy White's the real deal. Jared Jones, we talked about, you know, maybe there might some, be some highs and lows. Well, he goes and rakes again this weekend. <laughs> um, so I haven't seen the lows yet. Um, and that's a good Texas A&M team. So that, that team's definitely going to have to be ready for some good baseball. And there's no slouches. Missouri is supposed to be your slouch in the SEC. Especially in the East, right? Well, Kentucky yeah. and Missouri, but yeah. And Georgia. Georgia. No offense. No, um, not, not taking they have, And I think the toughest part about the SEC is those teams, each of those teams do. Can beat you any talent. weekend. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, like some of the guys that you watch on Georgia are just like, these guys are really good at baseball and they're just not SEC top of the, the heap. Good, I guess is probably the best way to right. say it. So, um, yeah, so let, let's talk about Vanderbilt a little bit. Um, you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk about and cover when we talked about Vanderbilt was the fact that they're kind of zigging while the other teams are zagging, right? We're talking about teams that hit for power. We're talking about teams that are big, physical, produce high exit velocities, draft guys, you know, just playing the game a different way. And Vanderbilt saw some turnover, right? We lost a couple guys. Carter Young transferred to LSU before signing professionally. Christian Little hits the door. And you kind of wondered, you know, what's going on in Nashville that's causing guys to hit the door, right? Obviously, we we probably support Tim Corbin and, and trust him through anything. Um, he's one of the best coaches in the country, one of the best culture builders in the country. But, you know, they kind of want to have an offense that's focused primarily on contact, moving runners, stealing bases. Obviously, when you have a guy like Bradfield at the top of your lineup, that's a little bit easier. He's got 15 of their 32 steals, and he's struggling this year. Um, But then they go out and do what they did to Ole Miss. And so while I still have some concerns over what this team's going to look like in May, especially when the weather turns and teams are able to just come in and just push balls over the fence but on every given weekend. Obviously that was a statement and they're telling people that, Hey, remember we're still the Vandy boys. We still play good baseball. So Dan, obviously, you know, a lot to unpack there from the offensive side of things, but, but what are your thoughts about how Vandy's kind of zigging while other teams are zagging? Well, I think what you just said at the end there kind of hits the nail on the head, right? Like it's still a Tim Corbin coach team. So like they're never, they're never going to be bad. Are they going to be right? Like, and, and that's kind of the thing of, of when you set expectations, right? We talk about this all the time. When you set expectations, like sometimes it's hard to continue to, to stay that good. Like it's hard to be the number one, the premier program in the country for ever, right? Like it's, you're going to have years where you're down. And I think it's, I think it's just a smart move by him, right? Because they had kind of peaked, it felt like, right? And, um, when you peak, sometimes you need to make an adjustment. So um, I'm not going to sit here and act like I know more than him, especially about his own program or, or what they're doing. Or, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he isn't building the team that the way he should and getting the guys in there. And, and I think it was just one of those things that he probably felt like there was a plateau of sorts and, and that he needed to switch some things up and he needed to go in a little bit of a different direction. I also think it's just the type of people, right? Like he talks about all the time. He wants athletes. He doesn't just want baseball players in there. He wants good athletes. And so when you have good athletes, sometimes they're going to turn into the guys who hit the ball over the fence. And sometimes they're going to turn into what they have now with the guys who can put the ball and play and run. And it's like, well, if that's what you have, then that's how you, you better lean into it. Cause you can't try and, you, you know, Bradfield isn't going to sit there and he's not going to pop 20 homers. So you better let him get on base and run. Um, and I just kind of think that's the smart thing. And, and 
again, when, when he's leading the program and when you have the culture that they have and when you have kind of all the, the foundation that they've had in place for years and years and years and years, they're always going to be a good team. You know, they're always going to be able to, to be better than we expect. Um, when we think they're down, like if they go and win a, like at the end of the day, if they were to go win the SEC tournament this year, would you be all that surprised? Probably not yeah. because it's still Vanderbilt and it's still Tim Corbin's team. And they're still some of the best baseball players in the country in, in that program. I think that's the biggest cause for concern, but also the biggest cause for relief is the fact that we've seen Vanderbilt and other programs do this where Vanderbilt seems to not have a revolving door of sorts, but they always have freshmen that impact the game right right away. And early in the season, those guys might not be playing every day. I mean, we see a guy like Chris Maldonado who's hitting 356 with nine extra base hits and and limited playing time. Well, he's only played 12 of their 18 games. Right. 13 of their 18 games. He probably games, whatever it is. Yeah, 21 games. He didn't start the year in the lineup every day. Well, he could be a freshman that's stepping up and impacting the lineup. And they always have certain guys that kind of almost come out of nowhere and put their name out there. I mean, Enrique Bradfield made impact as a freshman. We've seen it time and time again on the pitcher's mound. Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker obviously made impacts on the mound. But it takes a little bit for those young guys to fill out the lineup produce and then really make the most dynamic lineup you can have. It's a lot easier to trust in the veterans that you've known than the new guys that are new. And you don't know how they're going to handle it when crap hits the fan. I think what would be my cause for concern is that this is the new age of college baseball. I mean, we've seen it at the big league level. It's home runs. It's the easiest way to score. There's so much talent. It's hard to Get it, get a bunt down, rely on a knock, two run score, whoop whoop. No, it doesn't play every inning. It's hard to put balls in play, and when you do put balls in play, you really need to make them count. And Vanderbilt is not Texas State. They're not Southern Miss. They're not these schools that recruit at a disadvantage. They recruit. Max Clark is committed to Vanderbilt. Like, that's the type of caliber of player they recruit. And yes, that is the best athlete in baseball. That is the best high school athlete. That's probably the best athlete in the draft, right? But when you can recruit any player in the country you want, where are we going to start to have limitations? And again, I'm not going to sit here and say I know more about anything than that coaching staff. That coaching staff has won national championships. They do a great job. Know your personnel. Maybe he could want to hit for power. Maybe he could want big donkeys that could, you know, move as well as Max Clark and also go poolside Jack. Maybe that could be what they want, and they might not have that group right now. And that's a credit to them because they're still winning ball games. But when you're when you have 26 home runs, which I know that's crazy to fathom the fact that that's not that impressive um, because they're still hitting a home run a game, but only a 385 slugging percentage batting 267 as a team. And you're only, you're really only running roughly at a 75% clip. You have 32 steals and 43 attempts. Okay. So there's a lot of volume there, but Bradfield's 15 for 15, take that out. And you're just an average running team. And he's not playing that well right now. He's hitting 247 with no power. 
that's tough. That's going to be tough to take down the LSUs of the world. Even we just talked about Tennessee, right? That team's still talented, right? That team is just a ticking time bomb waiting to get hot. So that's my cause for concern because the SEC is not slowing down. The Floridas of the world, the Tennessees of the world, the Texas A&Ms of the world, the LSU, they're not going anywhere. And it's going to be hard to zag your way through the talent that those programs have. Sure, but I also think that, you know, at some point here, one, I think they're probably still searching for their identity just as much as Tennessee might be searching for their identity. And, you know, you're, you're a weekend into conference play, and, hey, that's a good way to start. You know, that's a good place to start. And I don't think that anyone has Vanderbilt in that top group, you know, that we talked about. Um, but, again, just with the experience of the coaching staff and the fact that there is a ton of talent there, if something clicks for this roster, like, they, they can make the run. You know, I, like they're probably on the bubble of being a legitimate Omaha team. And I think that for me, it, it kind of comes down to, you know, that at some point they are going to acquire the talent. It might not be this year, but they are going to have the guys that are hitting the ball out of the ballpark and they're going to pitch. I mean, they have two guys at the top of the rotation right now with unbelievable numbers who are, who are really good, good arms and, and they always are going to do that. And they're probably always going to play defense and that at least keeps you in the game. Yeah. Right. So now you start acquiring the talent. You, you acquire the guys that can hit the ball out of the ballpark. And yes, you're right. It's hard right now. And what people don't understand is the shift didn't happen on the hitting side. The shift didn't go, well, we have, we're just going to start hitting home runs. That's all we're going to do. No, the shift started to happen. The, we have to hit the ball out of the ballpark because we can't string hits together when you have guys who have stuff this good on the mound yeah. every day. Sunday every starters. Day this good and in, in major league baseball four fifth starters bullpens that are that good like you have to hit the ball out of the ballpark because you you can't rely on two singles a bunt and a double like it doesn't yeah. work that way anymore it's hard to do that but if you can get two guys on and then you can pop one out of the ballpark you can get a guy on and hit a two-run homer now you're in the game um so I, I i would be surprised if eventually vanderbilt didn't start to shift from that 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 point of view and i think my point being is you know the the overarching point here is like they're still going to be a really good team. They're still mm-hmm. going to play the game the right way. They're still going to be able to sweep Ole Miss. They're still going to be able yeah. to take a series from LSU if things go their way and they, they play well that weekend because they're they're typically not going to ever shoot themselves in the foot. So if you go in there and you think this is a down Vanderbilt team and we're one of the best teams in the country and um, we're opening up SEC play and we're going to continue to cruise like we did like Ole Miss, we just watched Ole Miss do, then you're probably going to get beat. Yeah, definitely. And I think the – you know, when I think about program builders and the best of the best, it's like the programs that usually play that fundamental brand of baseball are usually the ones that can't recruit, right? The talent that's necessary to to get it, whether it be your smaller school, whether you're, you know, we always talk about it with Colin about Wake Forest is being every guy they recruits a big donkey who can hit and they might not be able to play great defense, but that's their niche, right? Fundamental baseball is kind of Vanderbilt's niche, but they also recruit at the highest level. So I guess that's good and bad because if you do recruit and get the Max Clarks on campus and take the high ceiling of a superstar and MVP candidate at the MVP level and turn them into a fundamental baseball player, that's really valuable. Um, But Right now, this team doesn't have the Spencer Jones of the world. They don't have the J.J. Bladez of the world. Enrique Bradfield was supposed to be that guy, and he is not right now, quite frankly. And you, you assume he's going to turn it around, so that's not too well, much. And that, that happens, and that's what made this yeah. stretch of when they were the premier program so impressive is 
every year those guys were living up to the hype. Those guys were coming in. Jack Leiter came in and was as advertised. Kumar Rocker kind of exploded a little bit and was a little bit better than we thought. And JJ Bleday, like those guys pan out. That doesn't, you know, it's so hard for that to continuously happen. Um, you're going to go through stretches where sometimes Enrique Bradfield doesn't turn into that guy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, you know, you got to, uh, got to find your niche as a program. And I, and I definitely love the fact that, um, they have that, but I really think there are some causes for concern, I think, for this team this year. But that might not be the future of the program. But obviously, Virginia, we I already kind of touched on them. Their offense is a little bit different. As a team, they are hitting 335, 425 with 522 with 22 home runs in 19 games. So they actually have less home runs than Vanderbilt has on the whole, but there's about a 300 difference in slogging percentage. So they're obviously getting a little bit more bang for their buck. They run a little too. They have 25 steals and 30 attempts. Led by draft prospect, top draft catching prospect, Kyle Teal, who's hitting 444 with four home runs. Um, sounds like a Wendy's four for four right there. Um, and then top draft corner infield prospect, Jake Geloff, who's hitting 351 with six home runs, eight doubles, three, three triples, and a 757 slugging percentage. They have five regulars hitting over 350 with power. And junior Ethan O'Donnell's also hitting 378 with five home runs. So obviously, Dan, I, I kind of unpacked a lot of numbers there, but that kind of gives a nice perspective on what Virginia's doing. And after going undefeated in non-conference play, going into ACC play, um, they've won four out of six from NC State and UNC, and that offense has not slowed down one bit. And Kyle Teal doesn't even strike out. Kyle struck out six times this year. Like you see a guy, especially a catcher with those power numbers, you're like, well, he probably strikes out a third of his at-bats. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Like Kyle Teal is a stud. Um, and yeah, this offense is really impressive. Like you said, this this is one of those teams where the non-conference schedule wasn't great, and and then they've just come out and done nothing but win. Um, they're they're an unbelievable team, and they're you know they're right at the top of the ACC. Sorry, I was muted there for a second. But, uh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, this team's really good. They're led by two really good draft-eligible players that are going to hear their name called early. Um, Jake Elov's obviously breaking. This is a team that you mentioned it a little bit earlier. They were down a little bit last year. Um, but to see those two guys kind of leading the way, um, you know, just raking. As a group, they just rake. And and I would assume ACC play is only going to get easier. They knocked out two of their tougher competitions right off the bat and came away with four wins. And, and they're sitting pretty, you know, early in the conference season. And, and when we look at the pitching staff, the pitching staff's also performing really well. They're pitching to a 2-6-3 with 200 strikeouts and 160 seven innings. Um, they're led by a couple transfer and army West point transfers leading the staff in ERA with a 1.83. Uh, he's pitching in the midweeks. I draw a blank on his name. Uh, I didn't write it down. So, and weekend starter and Elon transfers pitching to a 1.98. So obviously we're looking at the transfer portal era and seeing a couple guys that are, that are moving the needle first year in the ACC. So, you know, obviously it's a tough adjustment, but how nice is it to kind of you know, replenish the stock for a program like Virginia to, to be able to nab two guys out of the transfer portal and have them pitch to a sub two in your ERA. Yeah. Connolly early is the uh, name you're looking for there. Um, yeah. But I, 
that's this is the era of college sports you're in now, right? You can, you know, restock the cupboards in an off season, right? Theoretically, especially when you're a Power Five program, um, you can go out and you can grab some of the better arms from or better position players or or better whatever position you have in whatever sport you're coaching. Um, when you have the portal, you can go grab those guys from mid majors or even teams, you know, other Power Five schools that are having down years, right? And I think. Some of the things that you've seen some of the successful programs do so far is instead of grabbing, oh, this guy was a top recruit and he didn't work out at a school in our conference. No, it's like I'm going to go grab the guy who's proven it at the college level at a mid-major, right? Let's go get Paul Skeens from Air Force. Let's go get uh, Connolly Early from Army. Let's go get um, you know, a point guard from Towson if I'm a basketball. And he was a leading scorer at Towson if I'm a basketball coach. Um, let's go get a wide receiver who led the you – know, the, the, this whatever conference in football, right? The Sun Belt, um, and I think that that that's kind of what you're you're seeing in college sports, and that's kind of the new era of it. And um, it makes sense, right? And for those kids to go get that exposure, sometimes it makes sense. If I'm the if I'm the best arm at a mid major program, if I'm the best arm at Texas State, and and I'm I'm going into my my draft eligible year, why wouldn't I transfer to Texas Tech or Texas? You know, and yeah. that's one of those things that that's a decision for every kid to make. And I'm just saying I can understand it. Now, if I'm a if I'm a coach and those guys are in the portal, go get them. They've proven it at that level, and and now they're going to automatically, instantly. And I know what they're proving. This isn't a guy who I you know, oh, I trust this guy to develop next year, but I haven't seen him do it for us. Well, this guy was just doing it in another program, and he was their best arm, and I can plug him in. And you've seen all these top programs do it. Yeah, it's unreal, and it's awesome to kind of have access to that. And, you know, we talked about Virginia being a little down last year. That's probably the reason why I can't say for certain. I don't remember exactly what the cause for their down year was, but I would assume when you can replenish the the pitching staff with two transfers, not just one. And then also freshman Jack O'Connor, who has no relation to coach O'Connor at Virginia. <laughs> uh, he came out of the gates hot with zero earned runs through first two starts. He had a little rough outing there, but he's pitching to a two, seven, three and 26 innings through two weekends of ACC play. So can't complain about that. And, and that's a, obviously a good third piece that weren't there last year. So is that the difference between what we know as Virginia this year coming out the gates with the record that they have and the team that was kind of down in Virginia standards. Yes, that is, that is the difference. The ability to have new arms that step up and offset a really good lineup that is going to perform and performed last year with two talented guys leading the way. And, and obviously a bunch of other pieces with five regulars hitting over 350 with power. So obviously it's a really good group. I would say, you know, Top three in the ACC, no doubt, Louisville and Wake are obviously been just steamrolling teams at this point. So definitely somebody to keep an eye on. And the last team that I want to talk about here today before we preview some some of this weekend content is South Carolina. South Carolina is the enigma that I feel like nobody in college baseball can ever figure out. They always start out the year well because they have SEC talent. They recruit at a high level. They recruit nationally. And then they start to fade once they get into SEC play. Well, is this team different? We're going to find out. They have a really good, really big challenge coming to town this weekend um, in Missouri, who's coming off a really big series sweep. And then obviously they have LSU coming to town in about three weeks from from this past weekend. Easter weekend, yep. Yep, Easter weekend. So, but the offense on the whole seems absolutely dynamic so far. 
Former Clemson head coach Monty Lee is one of the best hitting coaches in the country. That was how he got the job at at Clemson, and he made the transition to South Carolina, and it has been seamless. As a team, they're hitting 356 with a 450 OBP and a 619 slugging. 356 with a 450 OBP and a 619 Dude, slugging. Let's do a fun thing. Why don't you count how many regulars have over 1,000 OPS? Pretty much all of them. them. Yeah. I think it's seven or eight, if I remember correctly. With 56 home runs. Yes, 56 home runs on the year. If you like offense, if you like offense, this is the team to watch. Freshman Ethan Petrie, he's dominating and leading the way with a 458 average and nine home runs. We hear about these freshmen all the year, all every year. We talk about Jared Jones till we're blue in the face. This dude's having golden spikes level start to his career. That's just unreal to fathom. Gavin Cassis, Tristan Cassis' little brother with the Boston Red Sox, and you think Vanderbilt wants this guy back? He has 12 home runs through 21 games after transferring from Vanderbilt. So we talked about Vanderbilt not having the guys that can leave the yard, not having that dynamic offense. Well, the SEC's number two home run leader um, behind Jack Caglianone is Gavin Cassis. Senior Braylon Wimmer using his senior year to show some dynamic tools with 13 steals and 13 chances and six home runs and a 364 average. Uh that's obviously impressive, and they have six regulars hitting above 300. And one of the guys who's not is Willie McGillis, who's hitting 284 with nine home runs. So, Dan, obviously, 56 home runs is unreal, but that's an offense that can compete on any given weekend and, and can really make any pitching staff sweat. So, what are your thoughts on South Carolina so far through the through 21 games? I mean, there's not much to say other than like you just read the numbers and like you just listened to the numbers and and anyone who knows anything about baseball can tell you that this is a good offense, right? Like it's fireworks. Um, And they went down to to, uh, Athens last weekend to just absolutely put it on Georgia. I mean, and and that was kind of right. It was like, okay, so they're doing this through non-conference playing. And again, they've lost one game, so it's impressive. But, you know, like you said, we've seen it before, and then they get to SEC play, and what happens? Well, they went down there, and I know Georgia, again, so they're at the bottom of the SEC East, but they went down there and just, I mean, absolutely put it on them. And it's impressive, and, and it kind of excites you because now add another team into the mix in, in that conference that could be really fun to watch for the rest of the year. Yeah, and and coming into this week, you know, everybody thought LSU-Arkansas was going to be the game to this series to watch. South Carolina, Missouri, even if it might not be the talent, the draft guys that you might be looking for on a weekly basis, you're at least going to see some homers. Yeah, it's a confident Missouri team too. It's a confident Missouri team coming in off a big weekend series sweep. And this is a South Carolina team that is going to challenge any wall that is thrown their way. And that park is going to be jumping. That's a team that can hit. And it's going to be fun and, and definitely going to have to be something that that we keep an eye on. Um, one of the most impressive things on the pitching side is they, they're they pitching a 2.57 with 207 Ks and 182 innings. And top draft prospect projected first-round pick, Will Sanders, has actually struggled. He's pitching to a 4.18. So you look at this team, they're sitting at 20-1. and one. They're pitching well, and 
arguably their best draft eligible player hasn't performed to the level that he's capable of. That has to give you a lot of confidence going into these big SEC series that if you know you can get Will Sanders to be the Friday night guy that MLB organizations think he can be, you can beat anybody, quite frankly. And even if he's not, you got a lineup that's going to go out there and, and make any pitcher. I mean, we'll see how they line up with Paul Skeens. You and I might be there. We're supposed to talk about that and figure out if that's something we want to do, which now that I said it out loud, it might have to happen because <laughs> that just sounds like salivating to think about. But, you know, we're going to see this lineup challenge a lot of Friday night starters in the SEC, but Will Sanders can go toe-to-toe with any offense. Yeah, man. If they can, if they can pitch the baseball and they can continue to, you know, continue in the conference play, what they've done in in, in non conference play, especially the other two starters who have obviously stepped up um, while he struggled. And like you said, they can beat anybody. It's as simple yeah. as that. I mean, there's not much to say about this team other than like the proof is the proof is in the numbers. There's not yeah. a lot of question marks right now. There's just been a whole lot of steamrolling. Yeah, definitely, and that's why. I'm so excited to talk about them and so excited to watch them. It's like you have reasons to get eyes on them. If you haven't seen South Carolina, if you haven't seen USC of the East, you better be watching because that's a team that we mentioned it. They're 20 and one, which is obviously a loud number, Mm -hmm. but they're also putting their money where their mouth is and raking as a group. Their pitching staff's pitching well and Again, time and time again, we've heard South Carolina's ranked. South Carolina's ranked early in the season, and they get into SEC play and fade. Right. Is this group different? We're going to find out really quickly as early as this weekend. So with the look ahead, with that being said, uh, Dan, any closing thoughts before I kind of cover some of the series that we're looking at this weekend? No. Perfect. Well, Big Ten kicks off some conference play. It's not everybody opening this weekend, but we do have Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, Indiana, Illinois, Nebraska, Purdue, and Michigan State, and Maryland does head down to Central Florida um, to get tested again. That's a team that's really challenged themselves in the non-con. They're heading down for one more taste at a, at a tough series and some better weather. So we'll be interested to see what the Big Ten looks like at the end of the year. And, and obviously it's a power five, quote-unquote, conference um, that is kind of lesser in the baseball department, but still some solid baseball programs out there um, that we definitely have to keep an eye on. In the notes, I put in a series that used to matter. Texas Tech heads to Austin, take on Texas. Texas is a dumpster it's fire sad. right now. Um, it's but, sad. You know, we'll, we'll definitely, I mean, who knows? They could take two out of three from Texas Tech because they still have a lot of talent. Struggling NC State heads north to face Boston College and Chestnut Hill in the cold. I would not want to be in Boston this weekend. Not one bit, especially when it's going to be 85 and sunny on Friday. Yeah, I'm good. Come on, ACC. Can we figure it out? Can we get in the, can we get the early games done when it's actually warm out? Um, in the midweek, we do have number 10, East Carolina, taking on the number 21, Fighting Campbell's, Camels of Camel University down in Fayetteville tomorrow. I wish that was on campus. I would definitely go. A lot of my coworkers are heading down to Fayetteville to watch the game. I'm not that committed to to drive 45 minutes post work to come that yeah, to come back. Oof. That's tough. I don't like getting back home at nine o'clock at night. That's no, no fun for me. 
Florida heads to Florida State in the midweek, then the Swayze Field for a weekend series against Ole Miss. So Ole Miss, you thought you got punched in the taste by, <laughs> face by an okay offense. Wait till the best offense in the country shows up at your place ready to rock. So, you know, Swayze Field, they're going to be wanting blood from that Florida team. It's going to be a fun series to watch. Um, but Ole Miss is going to have to respond against a really, really good Florida team. Wake Forest plays host to the talented Miami Hurricanes who are coming off a big weekend uh, where they played really good baseball, and, and it'll be interesting to see how that team responds. They're obviously really talented. Wake Forest is really talented. They are coming up to our neck of the woods uh, to play that one. Tennessee looks to respond from a uh, series loss as they play host to Texas A&M, who's also looking to respond from their series loss against LSU. So, Obviously, it's going to be a big weekend for both those programs. Tennessee could be looking at if they lose one, then they have to go to LSU. If they lose two, then they have to go to LSU. Uh, then you're looking at an eight-loss team through three weeks, and that does not sound good, and I'm sure Tony Vitello is not going to be happy if that happens. Florida State looks to respond to their series loss, traveling to Charlottesville to take on the Virginia Cavaliers, which obviously we talked about. Virginia is absolutely rolling. Florida State's trending in the wrong direction. So it's going to be interesting to see. And in the two big series in the SEC, we have Missouri bringing their talents to Columbia, South Carolina to face the Gamecocks. And probably one of the best series that we're going to see. We've talked about Arkansas to nauseum. They're really going to be challenged now. They are red hot right now, and they're heading to Baton Rouge to take on the dominant LSU Tigers. Dan, as we unpack all those series, surprisingly, this is a light weekend across college baseball. That's how much good baseball we have on a weekly basis. But what are some of the things that you're excited to watch? Uh, Arkansas LSU. LSU is getting tested right out of the gate. Right. I mean, when you look at three of your first four weekends being A&M and M and uh, Arkansas, and then. Uh, Tennessee. So, I, I mean, the, your number one, go prove it. Uh, that's going to be a fun one. Obviously, go Camels baseball uh, playing ECU midweek. It's just for because you and I are in the area now. It's always fun to follow. And then, you know, Wake Forest, who um, they're really good. And this is going to be a really good test for them. So, uh, that'll be, a, 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 I think, a good one to follow and, and uh, maybe get up and see a game. Yeah, that would be awesome. You got, obviously, the town of Wake Forest and the town of Miami. That's going to be a loaded weekend, but a ton of baseball to watch. Uh, make sure you guys are following on all social channels. If you've made it this far in the podcast, please just leave a five-star review. You've taken your time out of your day to listen to us blabber about baseball, about college baseball. You seem to like us enough, so just leave a five-star review. It helps us grow. Um, subscribe to the podcast, and most importantly, share with five friends as well as follow on all social channels, follow the podcast on all podcast platforms, and make sure if you are going out to any live events, even if you're just buying concert tickets, head to SeatGeek. SeatGeek is your live event friends. Uh, they'll make sure they line you up with anything that you need, get you situated, get you beautiful seats. Use the promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL. Again, backside ground ball and you'll be able to get $20 off your first ticket purchase and making sure you're seeing your live sporting events. But until next time, we'll see you guys on the next episode.